All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are for Season 2, Episode 8 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan I am here with my man, the tank top wearing, beer drinking son of a gun that he is, Thomas Bowen. Good to see you, buddy. Hey, hey, buddy. I'm glad to be back with you, and I'm glad that you've got your drink in your hand and you're not splashing blueberry Kool-Aid all over the walls. Good to see you, buddy. That, that did happen in episode one. Luckily, we are not a video program. All right. So today will be slightly different. Uh, Clemson is on a bye. I can hear the Clemson fans saying, thank God. And um, we're going to start the, se- uh, the show off with just kind of a look around college football. And then we'll get into the South Carolina and uh, Tennessee game. And then our game of the week is going to be Iowa and Penn State, which I think is going to be a great ball game. So we will, as we always do, start off with our biggest takeaways from the previous week. And Thomas, this is just cut and dry, as simple as it can be, in my opinion. To me, it looks like nobody's standing in Georgia's way. They'll be standing in Atlanta waiting for Alabama to win this SEC championship. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it looks to be that way. You keep waiting for uh, for that 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 Georgia stumble that we always know and 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 love so much as Georgia haters that we are. Mm-hmm. But it it's, it 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 hasn't happened yet this year. And even when even when JT Daniels is not in the game, they've still got a very very serviceable Stetson Bennett. Um, I do think, and at least talking to Georgia fans that I know, they are still terrified of having to go into some of these bigger conference games, particularly down the stretch with Stetson Bennis. They've got to have JT Daniel healthy, but you're absolutely right, man. It, it doesn't look like anything is stopping them at this point. So a quick sidetrack, Stetson Bennett, when his playing career is over, most likely career, is he a real estate lawyer, a car salesman? Where Where is he? And it's somewhere in Athens, but what is he doing after college? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for his face on a billboard, and he's going to have his own State Farm branch. Nice. He, he's going to be selling whole life policies for sure, and he's probably going to crush it. Yeah, he'll absolutely, and as he should, uh, as he should. But that he needs to parlay that right into that. All right, so let's take a look around college football. Thomas, I've, you, know, you and I kind of talked pre-show about a rundown here. I just want to talk ball. But the first thing that I thought about when we talked about this, and, and you kind of asked me in our pre-show conference here, the Pac-12. What we hear from the Pac-12 all the time is East Coast bias. ESPN wants the SEC and the Big Ten and all those teams in. Well, Pac-12, if you want to sit at the big boy table, do big boy things. And right now, that's not happening. Your best team, Oregon, just lost to Stanford. And Stanford has had some great teams in the past. I'm not trying to say they haven't, but that is not the case this year. Southern Cal is a mess and is waiting happily for Urban Meyer's continued implosion in Jacksonville oh, yeah. to, to, to send him out to Southern Cal so he can rehabilitate his, his image or whatever it is he needs to do for a month or so. And then they'll, they'll announce him uh, as a Phoenix rising from the ashes uh, <laughs> in Southern Cal. But, you know, in all honesty and, and truthfulness, Pac-12 is a mess. And, and you want to talk about, hey, we get left out in the cold. We're a, pack, we're a power five conference, which they are. 
but you hadn't shown us anything to, to say we deserve to be in the playoffs. Yeah. And it, it's really, if I, I think this, and I hesitate to take it as far as the demise of the, the PAC 12, because they have had a lot of, as you said, really strong teams come out of there and some playoff teams, but, uh, and even back to the BCS era, some of those big BCS bowls, but Point being is, I think this this downward trend of Pac-12 has been happening for a while, and looking at it from a different angle is the Pac-12 has a lot of billionaire alumni, just yeah. like T. Boone Pickens and all of the SEC and ACC alums. But the difference is, and, and this may be a little bit out of left field, but the difference is Pac-12 alum – those billionaires and millionaires are not as football passionate as the ACC, SEC, Big Ten, and even Big 12 alums are. And so they're not dumping money into these programs. And when we are living in the arms race that we are, that is college football today, you've got to have money. And that's one of the greatest things that Spurrier did when he came to South Carolina was we got to upgrade these facilities. And he was a fantastic fundraiser and brought in a ton of money. And that's what started getting South Carolina on the level as far as facilities go. But that's just not happening in the Pac-12 because they don't have the money to compete in the arms race. And this is what's going to start catching up with them. I agree with you there. And I'll, I'll take that analogy slightly further. And, and you mentioned the ACC. And, and I feel like that's in recent times that they've really started to dedicate energy to football. And by recent, I mean the 80s and 90s. In particular, you got Clemson, obviously, Florida State, now Virginia Tech. But when you look at that Tobacco Road area, it, it, they're all about the basketball program as much as NC State is involved in football. And they, and, you know, they want to see success. I, I relate it to the SEC. You know, listen, I want South Carolina to win the national championship in everything we do. If we play badminton, I want us to be the best team in the country. So I want us to be great at basketball. But I think if you ask the average fan, and Frank Martin's spoken about this on many occasions – you, would you rather the football team be great or would you rather the basketball team be great? They're probably going to lean towards football. And I think if you went to Chapel Hill and asked UNC fans that same question, they would say basketball. I remember as a, a kid for the very first time going to a UNC basketball game with a friend of mine from my hometown of Spartanburg and being amazed, like, wait a minute, what are they doing? They're tailgating for basketball? Like, this is, they think it's a football game? Like, this isn't right. It's what we do, but it is what we do. And if you're a Tar Heel, if you're a, a Blue, uh, Blue Devil, if you're uh, a Wake Forest Demon Deacon, you know, they want to be good at football, sure, but they they live and breathe basketball. Now, Clemson's kind of that, you know, you know outstand, out, outlier there in the ACC, much like Florida State. But at the same time, I mean, I think that's true. The way college athletics work, and, you know, we are starting to see some changes there. Your alumni are important. Do you think these football coaches and basketball coaches and baseball coaches want to go all over the country in their offseason or in their home state or in the surrounding area and ask for money? No, they don't want to do that. It's it's awkward, first of all, and they'd like to, you know, probably relax in the offseason, but they're going to drum up funds. And if you're not doing it Pac-12, then you're going to get left out in the cold. The next thing is, and we'll get into this a little bit more, who is the best team in the, in the Big Ten right now? Is the simple answer going to be the winner of our game of the week? Because Probably. now Michigan's undefeated. Michigan's undefeated. Ohio State's got some issues for sure. Minnesota definitely has some issues. Wisconsin has some issues. So it's we've got you know some issues there that we got to think about. 
if you're a Big Ten fan or, or if you're you know trying to get your Big Ten team in, it, we'll talk more about this. But is it Iowa, Penn State? It, you know, is Michigan? I guess in the conversation, they're undefeated, right? Yeah, I mean, it, they have to be because they're undefeated. But at the same time, <laughs> this is Michigan, and and right. history tends to repeat itself, particularly recent history. So I'm. I'm I'm already writing Michigan off at this point, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's going to come down to our game of the week, the Penn state at Iowa game, which I am probably, it's been a long time since I've been as fired up for a big 10 game as I am for that game, probably going back to some really old Michigan games. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the next thing I want to talk about, and these two kind of things go together. I don't feel like, I mean, there were at the beginning of the season, as there always are. I don't feel like there's a clear-cut Heisman uh, favorite right now. And along those same lines, where are the offensive stars? The, the new college football of, I guess you could call it, the early 2000s to now, this past 20-ish years, has been all offense, right? All the great offenses and, and whatnot. You know, DJ up at Clemson doesn't look like a Heisman Trophy candidate. Even Spencer, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma has had some, some shaky games. And I, Thomas, I went and looked at some uh, NFL mock drafts. Granted, we're five weeks into the season. It's pick nine or ten before you see an offensive player. And it's not your t- traditional powerhouses. Now, Crazy. let's point out Bryce Young at Alabama is, is a freshman, a true freshman. You know, so a lot of their talent this year is on offensive side of the ball is young, which is crazy to me that we're now going to Bama about offensive stars. If you remember the big, the beginning of the Saban era, it was literally handed off. Don't screw it up, Greg uh, McElrain or whoever he was. Don't throw an interception. And uh, Mac, what was his last name? McElroy. McElroy. Manager. The official game manager. He's had it out for the Gamecocks ever since we beat his tail in 2010. So I'm going to, you know, talk some smack. But uh, again, there's no offensive stars. Where are offensive stars that we are traditionally seeing right now? Thomas, can you think of why that might be? What's the difference this season? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting when we were talking about this before the show and, and I said, you know, I hadn't really thought about it that way. But when I started to think about it, you know, and you and I and this blows a lot of people's minds. Uh, you and I play college fantasy football and we've been playing it for a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. a, a brief trip to history. We've been playing it since uh, I want to say 2004, 2005, when you could not even draft individual players. This was right. way before we had name image likeness and you had to draft units like South Carolina wide receivers or running backs. Really weird, but a lot of fun. But point being is, as, as college fantasy football fanatics, um, it's been really good and a lot of fun for the last X number of years since we could draft individual players uh, that it has been so offensively focused. And you know, as well as I do, a draft strategy, which is probably wildly different than an NFL fantasy draft strategy is you want those dual threat quarterbacks. You want those high point getters. And it's, it's, it's not the way it was. Um, and my record in our fantasy league reflects that. I know that. Mine does too. I, I think I'm two, two and three or, or, or something along those lines. I started yeah, off I'm, I'm basically, three. I'm basically the Gamecocks in, in our fantasy league. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But so, so when I started thinking about it, I said, well, let's, let's see what Vegas says. Uh, wh- whether you're a gambler or not, Vegas tends to know what they're talking about. So I wanted to see what the latest odds were on the Heisman favorite. And 
based on their odds, Bryce Young is the front runner right now, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, the freshman from Alabama. And based on uh, production across the country, that's probably pretty fair. Um, he's at plus 125, followed by Matt Corral at Ole Miss, very fair, at plus 250. But then after him, it drops off significantly. The next one is C.J. Stroud at plus 1,600, and then number four, Spencer Rattler at plus 12 – excuse me, at plus 2,000. Um, so it is if, – if, if you put any stock into Vegas right now, Bryce Young is a clear front runner with Mike, Matt Corral on his tails, um, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of see. I think they will get some more separation between each other after this weekend. I got you. And, and <laughs> mentioning Matt Corral and his head coach, Lane Kiffin, uh, oh, the good man. old lightning bolt that Lane Kiffin is, that man with his get your popcorn ready right before the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide took it to him is the all-time Lane <laughs> Kiffin, uh, maybe only second to telling Alshon he'd be pumping gas if he ended up in South Carolina. Oh, never forget that one. Never change, Lane. Never change. All right, real quick before we get into the Carolina-Tennessee game. Thomas, we're we're only five weeks in. We're one week short of the halfway point of the season. Who are your top four? I'm going to give mine. I've got got Georgia number one. I've got Bama uh, number two. Then I've got Cincinnati number three right now. And then, honestly, the winner of Penn State-Iowa is number four, uh, whoever that winner comes out to be. What are your what are your four teams there? You know, I, I'm definitely with you with um, Georgia and Bama. I mean, I think regardless of just being objective about it, you have to put them where you've got them. Um, Cincinnati could could be a fun one, but also, I mean, why not Oklahoma? I mean, you, you sure they've had their issues, but they're still undefeated. And when you look at strength of schedule, they've got a better, I think they're fourth in strength of schedule compared to Cincinnati's at 14th, I believe. So, I mean, even Cincinnati has a good strength of schedule. This is, this is the year for Cincinnati to make a run. And for all of the people that are screaming, and I am a little bit to an extent for some more variety in the playoffs, if not, if not expansion, just some more variety. We always see the same teams in there, but this is the year we could see that, that that outlier Cincinnati yeah and I think you know Oklahoma the reason I don't have them in there is exactly what you just mentioned their strength of schedule they looked to have some weaknesses that that strength of schedule could expose so it's a double-edged sword you're playing better teams you're playing tougher teams so if you get a win at at West Virginia for two points or whatever and down the road that's all well and good and if you hold chalk you're probably going to make it in the playoffs but I don't know that they're going to hold chalk so that's my concern there all right let's move into South Carolina at Tennessee so we're going to start off with the South Carolina offense for those of you new to the show I'm going to break down the offense um, some scheme type things what I've seen that I like things of that nature and then Thomas is going to talk about the uh, Tennessee defense, and then we'll switch it up. I'll talk Tennessee O, he'll talk Carolina D. First of all, Carolina's offense. I thought for the first time, uh, it feels like to me, Thomas, uh, I think you probably would agree that clearly Coach Satterfield's a, a listener of our show. Uh, I feel as though <laughs> he took in a smart man. I feel like he took in some, some insight we gave him. I loved the creativity on offense. I loved the changing of formations. I loved what we did in the run game with using um, lead blockers, be that a guard and tackle on a counter, be that 
Jaheim Bell playing that wing H-back fullback role. And Thomas, you and I have talked about this in the past. Some running backs don't want to leave blocker in front of them. It clouds their vision. They don't like it. Some love it. They can play off that guy and make a, make a, make a move. It's kind of pick and roll esque. We got a little basketball theme going right now. And I feel like Kevin Harris, we found, likes that lead blocker. Andrew, or excuse me, Adam Pence, who was here uh, last season as a true fullback. We had a thousand. Pence, I'm sorry. Uh, There you go. What he said. Um, It, uh, you know, he was a true fullback that was going to stand out there and get that big block on that lead linebacker, lead defensive end, whatever it is. And we saw some success. The most success we've seen Kevin Harris have as a runner against Troy. And I think the lead blocker really had what to do with it. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Bell might be our best blocker on our team right now. Absolutely. And I'm including everybody. And he really might be, and we need to utilize him in that. I love the creativity. We had a little two-man option game, it looked like, going. And then you had Van come on a reverse orbit motion. And when he pitched, he almost intercepted that pitch, took it for a reverse for 34 yards the first time, 32 the second time. You got to know that Tennessee's been practicing that play all week. So now's the fake flip and then carry out that option, let them overcommit to the reverse, and, and it's off to the races. I really liked that. I liked that we got in some eye under center. Of course, we mishandled the, the snap and, and in the backfield and all the wheels fell off. Um, but I love uh, that. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of it. It's just, it didn't, the ball handling in the back got a little convoluted, but, but you, you mentioned before we, we talked about that ACE formation under center, uh, with the single back and some of our, we, we didn't go to it a lot, but, and, and you mentioned it before. And I think you're spot on with, uh, being under center with a quarterback with a bum foot and how you've got to be very cognizant of that. But, um, some of our most successful runs, the few times we did go to it, were out of that ace formation. I, and, and that will really open up that play-action game. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. When we use that roll sprint out, which is how I know Coach Satterfield's been listening to us a lot in our passing game, and, and doing it under center out of that ace formation. I mean, John Elway in the 90s, that's, that was his ball game. He and Terrell Davis with, with Rod Smith and McCaffrey, like it's – that was what they did. That's why that formation was so used. And I think we'll continue to see some of that because you're just not in a good place as a defense when they start doing that to you. That's the old spider two Y banana that Gruden talked about and everybody fell in love with during that quarterback stuff he used to do on ESPN. I am so excited to see EJ Jenkins on the field. You know, I read an article that says, you know, he he apparently came to the coaches recently and said, hey, why am I not getting more playing time? They basically said, which I love this answer, hey, man, practice harder. Show us in practice. Come do the extras. Be here for extra film study. Be here for an extra lift. Show us commitment. And he earned his way out on the field, made a great catch, great touchdown in traffic, got that off the snide for him, you know, I'm going to do it, Thomas. I'm going to make this comparison, so you're going to have to probably rein me in. <laughs> it, it reminded me of Alshon in his freshman year. I can't remember the team it was. He had his coming out party. Like, it might have been against Kentucky before Kentucky. It was against Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, it might have been against – I knew it was somebody blue and white. Okay, so it was Kentucky. He came out – you know, he had really kind of been timid and, and, and really was struggling – early in the games. And there was a lot of talk on the message boards and this, that, and the other, the, the sports talk radio channels 
that, you know, was he as good as advertised? Was he a bust? And then all of a sudden that Kentucky game happened and it was a springboard. I hope, I, I hope for this offense that that's what's happened with EJ. Yeah, you're right. It, and it was, it was Kentucky, which was honestly about this point, you know, just, you know, over a quarter, almost coming up on a halfway through the season. <clears throat> and that's exactly when Alshon broke out. So I'm not going to rein you in on that because I can see some of that comparison. Um, and, uh, you know, notwithstanding similar receivers, similar styles of play that go up big body type receivers, but, but no, it, it was, it, it took Alshon a while to get comfortable and get that big play. You know, EJ said after that touchdown and, and how loud it was and how awesome it was, this guy came from St. Francis. He was used to playing in front of like 700 people. And when you've got, you know, I'm not going to kid myself. It wasn't 85,000, but you know, 50, 60,000 in there screaming. It's that, right. that's a lot of fun. And I think the, the light is starting to come on for him. He's starting to get into that groove. And so I'm really excited to see what he does. Absolutely. And so in, in that, we're going to talk a little bit about the passing game. You know, it's kind of an interesting situation that we've, you know, it, it's a mixed bag. You hear this stuff. I've seen and read, and I even heard somewhere that there's been some shots taken at Doty. Apparently, our former defensive coordinator, Ellis Johnson, had some negative things to say about him on the radio and his arm strength. Chuck Reedy, former offensive coordinator at Clemson, and he's been a coach forever and ever, amen, had some negative things to say about him. I think it was on Hefner's show. Um, so and nobody under the age of 60 was listening anyway. But um, – <laughs> You know, the thing about it is I don't get that. I watched this game intently uh, on a rewatch, and I broke it down. I'm not a quarterback coach. You know, Perry Orth warned me in season one to not be the guy who, who breaks down a quarterback when you don't, haven't played or coached the position, but I'm doggone it. I'm going to do it. I, in the first half, saw only three, maybe four bad throws, and none of them had anything to do with strength, arm strength. The first one's a, a tough throw on second and goal, which shouldn't have even happened. We'll get into that in a second. Yep. Second and goal, Josh Van on a little fade look. He throws it far too and far inside, really puts it in danger of getting intercepted. Bad placement, not at all a bad, you know, arm strength that he couldn't make the throw. Another tough miss, second drive of the first half, second down. We ran a play-action rollout that had been – a big part of our passing game that uh, yeah, Saturday. And he throws a throwback, a Steve Spurrier rollout throwback special to the tight end Nick Muse overthrows him. That's probably his worst miss that I saw. But I'm going to tell you something. Guess who I saw miss that pass later that weekend, Sunday night in New England? Mr. Tom Brady missed that exact same throw. So it's not to say you can't miss it and still be great. Other than that, he had a low ball on a swing pass uh, on second and seven in the fourth drive of the first half to Juju McDowell. That should have been a better pass. But also in the middle of that, he had a great throw on second and 25 to my man, Bell, that stuck him in the chest, put it in the right side on the right side of his body so he could go turn and make that first down, digging out of a hole, had a bad drop again. And I love this guy. I love him. But a bad drop by Joyner on fourth and five. I love Dak. I think he's a great, great, great kid. Can't keep making these drops, though. So that was a tough one. You know, listen, 
third and 11 at one point in the first half, he's getting rushed and he's getting hit. And he literally makes that throw with all the traffic around him. Does a nice dump pass down to Kevin Harris. Kevin catches it and, you know, gets a few yards there. So I don't get the hate, the hate for Jody. I think it's a, a unwarranted in the first half. He was 14 of 24, 202 yards and a touchdown. That's his, I mean, what, what, what do you want? What do you want? Yeah. I, I, I bet Clemson would take that right now Absolutely. from their quarterback. And so really, you know, now the only thing that, and I think this comes with experience. He's, and he mentioned it when he was talking to the media this week, he's got to be a little more decisive. There's a couple of times in the game where if he tucks his tucks and runs, he gets a first down or if he commits to a throw sooner, he completes it. And that comes with experience. Thomas, you and I were sitting together for a lot of ball games when Connor Shaw was a sophomore, and he used to drive us nuts with this—the indecisiveness of either run or throw. But you can't do, you can't wait forever because then they both go away. I think this will come. I think it will get so much better. Threw a great ball to EJ when on the EJ touchdown. It was a great catch, but it was also the only spot he could put that ball there. Again, I don't get the hate for him as a passer. Last thing, Tennessee Tennessee um, pass defense is not great. Is not great. We should be able to take advantage of that. Offensive line, I, we've beat that that horse to death and, and dug him up and beat him a little bit more. We, I, 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 I'm, I'm at a loss. I truly am. Uh, other than, hey, Coach Satterfield, I know you're listening. Stick with gap. Stick with counter. Get a lead blocker. Stop the zone. It's not working for us. Be a little bit more there. And Thomas, I've ranted and raved for a long time here. You talk about the UT defense. Yeah, let's let's switch it up, switch it up a little bit. Um, so uh, this this is a, a solid Tennessee defense. I think if you if you go back, you know, in recent years, Tennessee's always had a solid to good defense. Um, got rid of Jeremy Pruitt. He was obviously a saving disciple, a defensive guy. Now they've got uh, defensive coordinator Tim Banks at the helm. Uh, runs primarily a 4-3 they'll drop a, a, a linebacker to a, what they call a star which is a linebacker hybrid safety um in a nickel set he'll roll a little bit of 3-4 but this defense this year is uh 24th nationally in run defense giving up just over 100 yards a game 20th nationally uh in yards per carry they're giving up just over three but as you mentioned, their pass defense is not that great. 45th nationally in pass efficiency defense. Um, if, you, if, if you look back at the Missouri game where they just blew Missouri out, I think it was like 62 to 14 or something ridiculous like that. Um, they, they, they really actually, it was, uh, gosh, I can't remember the score. Yeah, 62 to 24, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but what I was getting at was they really held Mizzou to 17 points because Mizzou did have a hundred yard kick return. Kentucky was out without their senior linebacker, Juwan Mitchell, senior safety, Trayvon flowers, um, and still held Missouri to what they did, but let's not kid ourselves. This Missouri team is not, is not the sec East winners of recent history. This Missouri team is not that great. So the jury is still out on Tennessee. Tennessee, 
defensively, the secondary is making roughly 70% of their tackles, which of course is, is going to be a little common in, uh, in some of today's offenses and kind of how they function. But what I'm really looking at is how this defense is going to defend South Carolina. As you mentioned, their pass defense is not very good. They're going to load the box against South Carolina. Absolutely. hundred percent. Every team is loading the box against South Carolina. So, I think South Carolina needs to loosen them up with some throws on early downs. We saw that last week against Troy. I really like that from Satterfield. Kind of loosens things up a little bit. Um, So South Carolina is going to have to attack this defense throwing the ball. Uh, Their pass defense, again, is one of the worst in the SEC. They've given up over 50 pass plays of 10-plus yards. Um, But that run defense is pretty stout, sitting at fourth in the SEC. So South Carolina's got to throw the ball, and I think that's where the most success is. And as you mentioned earlier, rolling that pocket and getting Doty out. Foot be damned, get him on the move, and loosen that defense up. I agree with you. And and Marcus Satterfield mentioned today that his foot is getting better. He also mentioned that he hadn't put him under center as much as he thought he would at this point because of his foot, which was a point we made here on the Slightly Above Average Football Fan, which is another reason why I know Marcus listens. All right. So moving on to the UT offense. And the the first thing to say here is tempo, tempo, tempo. They want to play as fast as possible. Like I like to call their offense a fast break offense. I know, I don't know how this basketball theme popped up, but it just kind of happened naturally. They are trying to push the ball. And if you watch them play, they are trying to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly. If that's a slant, if that's a wide receiver screen, if that's a running back option, whatever. And then their hope is that's going to bring everybody forward. That's going to bring linebackers forward. That's going to bring DBs forward and even another safety in the box. And they're going to throw it over your head. But the biggest thing they want to do is get you to not be set. I heard their offensive coordinator, Alex, is it Golish? 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 Come on, what he, he, he talked about the fact that this was the first time, being last week against Missouri, that he thought they were playing at the speed they need to be playing at. And the reporter asked him, how do you know that? He said, because the defensive line wasn't set. So that tells you everything you need to know. That's what they want. They want you looking around. They want you making calls. I'm sure, I hope, you know, Coach White has shown over and over again to be a fantastic defensive coordinator. So I'm sure he has this in mind. Quick calls, get guys set and go because these guys want to play fast. Another switch they've made here is new quarterback two games ago. They started off with Joe Milton from a transfer sophomore from Michigan who had struggled to find his way at Michigan. Then they've now moved in the past two games to Hendon Hooker, who was a transfer from Virginia Tech after three years there, he was, I think, eight and seven as a starter in those game times he played at Virginia Tech. He has been the man going for us so far, had a huge day passing and rushing against Missouri. Thomas, you pointed out, you know, we'll talk more about Missouri when South Carolina plays them, that this Missouri team is not what was anticipated, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Tyon Evans, their running back, had a huge, and I mean huge day against Missouri. Uh, over 150 yards rushing, if I'm remembering correctly. 92-yard touchdown run. Very, very explosive. So that's the UT offense and what they want to do in a nutshell. And, you know, if I had to use two words, play fast, get the ball out faster. Thomas, what does Carolina need to do to slow these guys down? 
Nice, nice setup. I appreciate that segue. Um, looking at, speaking of that Missouri game, about a quarter of UT's offense was inside zone read. But the, the big kicker here that really stood out to me was about 59% of those, 269 rush yards were before contact. So yep. what that tells me right there is Missouri's front four or even more than that, we're not getting any, any penetration. South Carolina has to play really good gap integrity. We've talked about that before where, where you've got to plug those holes and make those running backs bounce to the outside. Keep your second level free to make those tackles. Um, I do like from looking at last week against Troy, it seems like Clayton White and the South Carolina defense is getting a little bit more exotic with some of their looks. They started moving Enigbare around a lot more. Um, as you know, from an offensive perspective, that makes it really difficult to block because when you've got somebody like Enigbare that you always have to account for, you, you've got a scheme around that. When he's moving around, it makes it very difficult, particularly in these tempo teams that you were talking about. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's one of the things that, that I'm concerned about if I'm a South Carolina fan, which, of course, I am. Uh, as you mentioned, th- this UT offense is blazingly fast, averaging 78 plays per game. That's second in the SEC only to Ole Miss, which is just 78.7, I believe. Um, but what, another thing that I noticed is, uh, and you mentioned – uh, the run game for Tennessee just gashed last week. And yeah. South Carolina has been gashed in, in some previous weeks as well. I've noticed that a lot of the linebackers for South Carolina are getting sucked into the wash up front. And what you mean when, when we say sucked into the wash, you get that – honestly, it's a wash. You kind of know it when you see it. Yep. It's just a big scrum almost, like a rugby scrum. The linebackers are getting sucked in. I would almost prefer our linebackers to take a step back. I know a lot of teams set their linebackers a little bit deeper so they can see things yep. develop in front of them. But bottom line is South Carolina has to, to, to really be smart up front and shut down that run game. I think if they force Tennessee to throw as fast as they are, I think they will have some success. I agree with you there. Just to tag on to that point, um, DeMonte Staley got stuck in that wash against Troy, gave up a big touchdown there. You know, one of the guys I used to coach with who's still coaching um, out at Chapin, a defensive coordinator, Scott Stogner, used to talk to our linebackers about shutting the door. When the door is open, shut the door. And that's what we're not doing as good linebackers right now. Fill your gaps, and we got to do that. In college, it's so much more important because guys can kill you one missed gap integrity situation ends up in a touchdown all right thomas we're going to go to our what they what we think they need to do to win i think for south carolina continue to be creative on offense and start fast start fast we we started fast against troy we ended up with a field goal like went right down the field and, and did some things but start fast and be creative and then honestly the defense is going to have to score us a touchdown uh, um, or get us in a very short field to score a touchdown. What do you think Carolina needs to do to win this game? Yeah, I think number one, as I mentioned earlier, is is pass to open up the run. I want to see first down passes like we saw last week from South Carolina and uh, and really just get the defense off the field. Playing this up-tempo teams like this, you're going to get gassed. I don't care what your conditioning is and just get them off the field. Absolutely agree with you there. So Tennessee – what can they do? Well, you just mentioned it. Play fast and keep Carolina's defense tired. Play fast, keep them tired, and they're going to score a lot of points because they're going to do that to anybody. And the other thing is get some turnovers. I think I'm going to call my shot here for the first time on this show. 
I think Carolina's offense is about to have a coming out party. I know we hadn't seen much to tell us that. It's just a feeling I have with EJ on the field, with Doty's foot healing up, with some changes we've made in play calling. I think we're about to have a coming out party. I could be dead wrong, but I think that's going to happen. But that doesn't mean our defense is going to shut down Tennessee's offense because they just, the way they play. So Tennessee needs a turnover or two because I think it could be, believe it or not, could get into a scoring contest. I'm not saying it's going to be 40 something to 30 something and maybe 27 to 20, but it's, it's going to be a back and forth ball game. And I think they're going to have to get a turnover to win the game uh, from Tennessee. What do you think Tennessee needs to do, Thomas? Yeah. And, and also on that is if you're a South Carolina fan, it's going to be frustrating. There's going to be a, a lot of yards in between the twenties and yeah. it's going to be frustrating, but that's the way this game is going to go. Tennessee really needs to get South Carolina in third and long. That is really yeah. has been their bugaboo for weeks. Their third down efficiency is not good. Um, so get South Carolina in third and long. And if you can load the box and continue to, and also shut down South Carolina's passing game, well, that's game over for South Carolina. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. So we're going to move into the Penn State-Iowa game, starting off with the Penn State O. We've actually previewed Penn State once before when they played Auburn, so we won't dive into their, their scheme all that much. But they are 5-0. and Right now, their toughest win has been against that Auburn team that we highlighted. It was, it was a good matchup. But Auburn's faltered. Do we know how good Auburn is? So I say this almost every week. Is this so-and-so's first real test? Is it Penn State's first real test? With the Georgia and Arkansas game the last week, I said, is this Georgia's first real test? And if it was, they certainly passed it. And if it was Arkansas's first test, then they sort of fell flat on their face. Um, And then, you know, so is it their first real test? This offense wants to throw the ball. They are fourth in the league in passing. They are a pass-first team. They're going to run some zone. Their quarterback, Sean Clifford, is a three-year starter. Third in the league in passing yards, third in the league in completion percentage, and third in the league in passing touchdowns. Interestingly enough, three-year starter, so known commodity, brand new um, OC this year, known commodity though, no preseason all Big Ten. I find that so interesting how well he's doing, and he's not. He was not even rated uh, in the top, you know, one or two top preseason Big Ten guys there. So I found that very interesting. Thomas, tell us a little bit about that Iowa defense. Man, I, um, I, I got a point of correction. We did not do the Penn State-Auburn game. You wanted to, and I think I persuaded you to do, was that the Georgia-Arkansas? Was that last week? I don't think that was last week because they played like week two. Ah, you're right. But we I know we definitely didn't do that because I look back. I don't know. Okay. That's my mistake. Maybe I maybe I researched them in preparation and then you you crushed my hopes. And so I already knew <laughs> I already knew about their offense. Sorry, that's that, my bad. That, that's probably what happened. I was just making sure I didn't have a stroke and completely forgot that <laughs> No, you just crushed my dreams a couple of weeks ago. Um Iowa defense, uh man, you know, I, I'm I'm not a Big Ten football fan uh, because I like real football, but ooh, shots fired. But Iowa's defense—I I will say—I've always been a fan here, and you know, this is defensive coordinator Phil Parker. This guy is a legend at Iowa, and Iowa has only had, I think, something like four DCs over the last like a hundred years. It's ridiculous. But Phil Parker there now, no relation to Norm Parker, who was a legend at Iowa as well, if you remember that guy. Um, 
This is this is Phil's night season. Iowa runs my favorite four two five. Uh, he's really a, a, a secondary coach. He's a defense. He's put 16 DBs in the NFL since, wow. since 2000. Um, one of the reasons I'm really excited about this game, being a defensive guy, is this is basically in the Big Ten, number one defense in Iowa versus number two defense in Penn State. Iowa's got the number one score in defense to the Big Ten, number one in picks at 12. They're only giving They're giving up less than 100 rushing yards a game less than 200 passing yards a game. Um, Phil likes to run a lot of zone coverage. And normally when I look at coaches like this and I look at schemes like this, I'm more of a man guy because I like aggressive. I like bump and run. I like to be on the line and play aggressive. But to be a zone scheme, it is a very aggressive zone scheme. And, And Parker always talks about how he wants more zone eyes than man eyes. And he worries you're going to see a lot of quarters coverage from this guy. It's a more aggressive zone coverage, but it's not as risky as man. It's not that high risk, high reward. But he's he's such a, a, a preacher of alignment and position. His defenses all always play tremendously disciplined. Uh, I'm really excited about this game because th- this is going to be a slugfest. I think um, they still they're still led by senior defensive end Zach Van Valkenburg. Otherwise, I've got a pretty young defensive line. But again, this is a Phil Parker defense, and I'm looking forward to them. Honestly, I think they're probably going to shut down that Penn State offense. I think you may be right. So you're exactly right that this Iowa uh, team is built around a great defense, as they have always been. The offense is uh, a multiple leading towards a pro-style offense. Offensive coordinator Brian, is it Fritz? Is that how I say the last name? Fritz. Ferenc, Ferenc, that's just complicated. Ferenc, yeah, whatever. Uh, tomato, tomato, tomato. Exactly, whatever. Uh, Samsonite. Um, so <laughs> he is the son of head coach Kurt Ferenc uh, and a former Iowa offensive lineman himself who played there. Um, after his playing career was over, after a short stint in the NFL, he went and coached with the New England Patriots for quite some time, uh, about five, six years or so, learned a lot there, came back um, to the Iowa staff in 2012 and has been the offensive line coach, the tight end coach, the running game coordinator. And then since 2017, he has been the full on offensive coordinator. Uses a little bit of zone scheme with a lead block insert. That's kind of an interesting way of combining the zone and the power schemes. And uh, basically the, the fullback does like the uh, or the lead blocker does like the tailback would do. And he finds the crease, goes in there and hits somebody. And if the running back falls him, great. If he doesn't, great. You know, it's just an extra blocker there, kind of a free man. It's kind of an interesting way to do it when you see it done. I really enjoy watching that done. Does a little bit of play action off that. Their, their, play, their pass game is extremely play action based. They want to move the pocket and attack the edges and really, really want to hit the passes, even their deep passes outside the numbers. They want to stay out of the middle of the field. Seems to outside the numbers is their game, which is, you know, usually safe football. If I had to describe this offense in a word, it's efficient. They are trying to do as little damage as possible because they know they have a great defense. Interesting stuff here. Statistically speaking, they are fourth in the big 10 in scoring but nowhere near the top level in any other offensive category, total yards, passing yards, rushing yards. They're efficient. When when the defense gets in the ball in a short field or in a good spot, they score a touchdown, but they also aren't going to blow you away. Quarterback Spencer Petrus, I'm going to go with that, um, has, has thrown seven touchdowns, but only one interception. 
So again, he's going to be an extremely efficient passer. However, something to keep in mind, something to keep in mind before you talk about Penn State defense, second most sacked quarterback in the Big Ten right now is Iowa's quarterback. That could come into factor here with a good Iowa defense. So uh, starting quarterback Tyler Godson, or Goodson is sixth in the league in total rushing, 10th, aver- 10th overall on average yards per carry for running backs over 50 carries. At this point in the year, if you haven't gotten an average of 10 carries a game and you've had one carry for 72 yards and your average is out and can throw it out of whack, fourth in the league in total carry. So he's, you know, again, they, they are balanced. They are efficient. They're not going to blow you away. It is very much about ball control and not making mistakes. Think Alabama, as we described them earlier in the early part of Saban's time, which Saban and Belichick used to work together. Their offensive coordinator came from New England. This is the early Tom Brady offense where they leaned on that defense and Tom's job was to manage the game. And then Tom became Tom uh, after that. So let's talk about the Penn State defense and what they can do to break up this efficient offense. So again, uh, you know, when I was talking about uh, the numbers on the number one scoring defense for Iowa, Then you look at, at Penn State, who's got the number two scoring defense in the Big Ten. Uh, they're giving up just over 100 rush yards a game, just over 200 passing yards a game. Um, this, this is Brent Pry. I'll go with that. Sixth season here. Runs I'm probably, certainly not going to correct you. <laughs> runs, uh, he's, he's, he's a more traditional 4-3 guy. He will drop, drop a linebacker for another cornerback in a nickel, back, in, in a nickel set situation, bring a fifth cornerback on the field. Um, very traditional set. But, but the, the thing with this Penn State defense is, you know, they've had some prolific offenses they, in the past, in the recent years, in the James Franklin era. They've had some, some good quarterbacks. They've had some really good running backs, Saquon Barkley. Um, but this might be the most complete Penn State defense in recent years. Um, Penn State's finally got that dominant defensive line that they've been missing, and this is probably the best secondary that Franklin's had there. Um, they, they like to bring pressure very selectively, they're not going to blitz heavy, um, kind of similar to uh, Barry Odom's defense at Arkansas we've talked about. They're going to they're gonna let their front four do a lot of work and sit back in zone coverage. They bring pressure about 41% of the time. Um, just for perspective, the national average is about 28%. So while they are bringing a lot more pressure, they're going to be very selective on that. Um, he trusts his secondary. So that's why he's, 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 he's not afraid to leave his DBs out on an island by themselves. And he's going to trust those guys. So this is going to be, I think this is going to be another slugfest. Uh, I think Iowa is only favored by like two, two and a half points here. Over-unders like 41 and a half. This is going to be a low-scoring game. I'm looking forward to another defensive slugfest. This is, as you said this earlier, this is vintage Big Ten football right here. This is run the ball. This is play good defense. So, I mean, it kind of, to bleed into that, what do they need to do to win? And I'll say for both of them, don't make a mistake. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't, don't give up a big play on defense. Don't turn it over on offense. Because that, that's really what I think like it's going to come down to is who makes the first big mistake or, or more mistakes than the other team. Because both of these teams are even kill this is you know hey 
I'm not going to go out and throw a 98-yard touchdown pass on the, on the two-yard line, but I'm also not going to turn it over three times. And we're not going to blitz you to death, but we're also not going to let you have a big play over our heads. So it's going to be one of those games where if you're a football, what I like to call purist, and you like to see that chess match of a lot of guys getting three yards, four yards, five-yard gains, you know, big plays, small ball. Small ball is what we're going to see. A grind it into the ground type game. And that's Big Ten football in my mind. It's going to be fun to watch. Thomas, you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I think you're right. The, the, one of the things that I think is going to be key here is um, I, I think you mentioned earlier that Penn State offensively is is a pass first team and they and they run a lot of play action. This is gonna it's it's, it's going to be really interesting to see that offense against the Hawkeye defense, which are ball Hawks leading the conference in interceptions. You see what I did there? That's I, did. Nice. I saw it. I saw it. That was great. That's good radio right there. So, so I think, uh, I mean, this Iowa defense thrives on interceptions and just, just stealing points where they can. So I'm really interested to see Penn State's pass offense against Iowa's pass defense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you there. So we're going to see some good ball game uh, there. Um, you know, hopefully for the Gamecock fans like us, we'll see a good ball game in Knoxville at the noon kick. Uh, Thomas, I'm going to go ahead and do this before we start signing off. I, I was going to do it earlier, but I chickened out, but I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to be that guy. I'm going to go with my first instinct. I'm calling my shot. I'm calling the Gamecocks pulling the victory in Knoxville. Um, I think, I think Tennessee has not uh, shown me yet that they are there. Uh, I think they had a great game against Missouri, um, but I, I think South Carolina is coming and, you know, some, some folks who listen to this might say, oh, listen to this Gamecock fan. Guys, I'm at, at my heart, in my soul, I'm a coach. And I always think we can scheme our way out of things. And I saw schemes that we had not seen yet. Our defensive coordinator is just calling all the great right shots. Nine interceptions leading the SEC as a team with a group of guys that everybody, everybody, everybody said would be our Achilles Hill coming into this game and coming into the season, I should say. So, Thomas, I'm going to do it. I may have just put the jinx on them, but I'm calling Carolina coming out of Knoxville with a big win um, after that noon kickoff. What do you feel about that? I see the pain on your face. Uh, I hate it, and, and I hate that you're putting me in this position, and I don't want to do it. But uh, I will say that if, if this game were in Columbia, I would feel better about the Gamecocks' chances. I agree with everything else you said. I think the offense is coming along, and I think they are due for a breakout party, and it could be this weekend. But the fact that it is in Knoxville, I don't feel good about it. So I got to go with Tennessee 24-17. I understand that. That's probably that's probably right. Um, you know, listen, that's why I hate it because, I, man, I really hate Tennessee. <laughs> well, that's what makes us the best podcast duo in college football podcasting that we balance each other out the way we do. Uh, you know, I can always talk myself into a win. And, uh, you know, in reality, it's going to be a tough game. I'm not just trying to disrespect Tennessee. I just have one of those feelings. But. Regardless, we love college football. We're going to keep talking about it next week, no matter what happens and the week after that and so on and so forth. So keep listening to us. Follow us. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Twitter at 
at SAA football fan at SAA football fan on social media. Facebook is the slightly above average football fan podcast. You can find our podcast on Google pod on Apple pod on Spotify on pod index, download us, like us, review us, subscribe to us, let the word get out about what we're talking about. This is the most in-depth college football show in podcast right now. Thomas, as always, my friend, it was just amazing. Had a blast. Everyone enjoy your weekend and remember to get your pets spayed or neutered. Hey, all right. Service announcement. Service announcement.